even though I'm sure after my piano introduction this morning, <laughs> everyone knows my name. Um, today, I have the privilege of sharing what God has put on my heart. First off, let's open in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to open your word here today. I thank you for the freedom we have to worship you here in New Zealand. And I just pray that this morning I'll be your messenger to deliver um, what you have um, for me so that everyone here will um, hear some teaching and be able to implement things into their lives and just take something away into their week and um, moving forward. Amen. All right. So the first thing you're probably wondering this morning is what am I speaking on? Uh, I have titled my sermon this morning, A One-Sided Deal. The deal I'm talking about here is that between God and man, bearing in mind the deal is far from a perfect word to describe this relationship, but bear with me. A common phrase we hear often in our fallen and selfish word today, world today is, in which I'm guilty of myself, is what does the other person bring to the table? In other words, what is their side of the deal in this relationship? Be it a personal or business relationship, we often hear, say, or think, am I contributing more than the other person? And if the answer to this is yes, then we often try to renegotiate or have resentment in our hearts because we consider the deal unfair. So, using man's selfish lens, let's take a quick look at the deal between God and man. God created man. God also purchased man back with his son. But God also gives us free will to follow him still. So, moving on to the other side of the table, what has man done in this relationship? Man brought sin into the world, and man received salvation through faith in God. And I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list of everything that God has done for mankind. More of a summary of some of the key events to illustrate my point and introduce the topic of how our relationship with God is a one-sided deal. So why am I sharing about this topic this morning? Well, because I believe that to fully appreciate what we have been given, we need to fully appreciate first what the price that has been paid. I'll say that again. To fully appreciate what we have been given, we first need to fully appreciate the price that has been paid. And without fully appreciating what we have been given, our salvation through Christ Jesus, we as humans are prone to take it for granted. Our flesh starts to deceive us into believing that we are saved by our own good deeds and actions. Well, let's quickly turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 to see what Paul has to say about that. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. Paul makes it pretty clear that it is only by Christ that we made right with God, not by our actions or good deeds. So why is it, not, why is it important not to take our salvation for granted? Well, we often talk about how Christians in the West are prone to becoming lukewarm, and I believe that a key reason for this is taking our faith for granted. How often do we stop and thank God for the price he paid, for the gift of salvation that he offers us so freely, yet which he paid such a high price for, and which we are so undeserving of? We have done absolutely nothing to earn this salvation, and so it must absolutely be considered a gift, only received because of the grace and unfailing love of our Father in heaven. Before we carry on with 
um, just a couple of keywords and definitions which are important here. So you've got grace, which equals unmerited mercy. Salvation. Salvation is a preservation from harm, ruin, or loss. And just a few synonyms for deal, which we've got in our title, is covenant and agreement. As with so many areas of our Christian walk, we are provided with illustrations within the Bible to help us grasp and understand. So to provide an illustration of the topic this morning, we're going to look at the story in the Old Testament of Hosea, focusing on the story of Hosea and Gomer told in chapters 1 to 3, the meaning of Hosea being salvation. So if you could turn with me to Hosea. So reading from chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Berai, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute, by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she became pregnant and gave him gave Hosea a son. So the rest of chapter 1 covers um, the different children that Gomer bore Hosea and the names they were given. But the story that we are following carries on in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I brought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. So we will finish here. So in summary to the story, we're reading of the minor prophet Hosea, whose ministry took place around 750 years before Christ in the northern kingdom of Israel. Hosea was a messenger for God during a time when many Israelites worshipped pagan gods. He began his, missionary, his ministry during the reign of one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II. Hosea warned the Israelites to turn away from their sinful ways and prophesied of judgment to come in the form of the Syrian army. Hosea also brings the message that God is not judging the Israelites for the sake of punishing them, but rather to redeem them with the judgment intended to turn the hearts of the Israelites back to him. The book of Hosea is a collection of his teachings, preaching, and prophecies broken up into three sections. And it is the first section that we'll be focusing on today, which covers Hosea's marriage to the woman, Gomer. While this book and illustration at the time was directed at the Israelites, it, was also directed, it also is directed at you and I and talks of our relationship with God, our unfaithfulness to him, yet his unending love and grace for each of us. At the start of the book, Hosea would have been a young prophet, starting out in his ministry for God. And you can assume, like any other young man at the time, he would have been looking for the right woman to marry. And you can be fairly certain that as a prophet of God, that if it had been his choice, he would have been careful to pick a godly woman of upright standing. 
But as we just heard, this is not to be. God commands Hosea to marry a prostitute woman, or other translations probably put it better as a promiscuous woman. The book is not clear on whether Goma had already had a number of relationships with other men before she married Hosea. But what it does tell us is that Hosea is being told to marry an unfaithful wife. So why is it that Hosea is given such an incredibly difficult task? Well, we read in chapter 1, verse 2, that Hosea's relationship with Goma is an illustration of God's relationship with Israel. Hosea's prophecies are not just his words. His life is a living prophecy. Israel was like an unfaithful wife to God who was their faithful husband. While God is often talked about as the father of the Israelites, he is also talked about as their husband. Reading from Isaiah 54 verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were in slavery, and at Mount Sinai, he entered a covenant with them, asking them to be his alone. We read of this covenant in Exodus chapter 19. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the, to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded, We will do everything the Lord commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Hosea also entered a covenant, that of marriage with Gomer symbolizing the covenant that God entered into with the Israelites in Mount Sinai, God's marriage to the Israelites. And if we carried on reading in Exodus after chapter 19, we read of that covenant he makes that God had made with the Israelites, of the laws they were to follow. But we read that Gomer and Hosea, that Gomer is not a faithful wife. We can speculate that Gomer becomes tired of being married to Hosea a prophet speaking judgment on God's people, and she runs off with another lover. Although Hosea is a faithful husband, Gomer commits adultery and runs off with another lover. Breaking the rules that were set out in their covenant of marriage, Hosea is commanded to marry a woman who will be unfaithful to him as a wife. He enters into a covenant of marriage with her, knowing that she will likely commit adultery. The Israelites entered a covenant with God, which is sometimes compared in Scripture to marriage. The laws that Moses was given on Mount Sinai tells of what what the Israelites must obey to keep their covenant with God, and in return, God tells of the blessings he will pour out on them. However, soon after reaching the Promised Land, 
The Israelites take the produce of this land and start offering and sacrifice to Baal and other pagan gods, in doing so breaking the covenant they created with God. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 to 3 reads, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called him my son, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the further he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know me or even care that it was I who took care of him. To act unfaithfully in the relationship of marriage is termed uh, adultery. To act unfaithfully towards God and worship another idol is termed idolatry. So another way to think of idolatry is to commit adultery in our relationship with God. So back to the story of Hosea and Gomer. We can again speculate that the man that Gomer runs off with becomes tired of her and sells her into slavery. She believed that she was freeing herself, abandoning Hosea and her three children and committing adultery, but she finds out that the result of this is slavery. So how does God tell Hosea to treat Gomer? The Old Testament sets out that adultery is the grounds for divorce and that those who commit adultery must die. But Hosea commands, uh, but God commands Hosea to purchase back his wife. He must buy back what is already his. Even though she threw his love away and committed adultery, he must redeem her. Hosea purchases Gomer for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. When the Israelites sacrificed offerings to and worshipped other gods, they broke their covenant or deal with God, giving grounds for him to divorce Israel. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 20, we read, In the covenant that God set out with the Israelites, that anyone who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. But instead, God decides to pursue Israel and renew the covenant out of his love, grace, compassion, and faithfulness. Just as Hosea must have known that Gomer would be, an unfaithful, would be unfaithful as a wife, God knew that mankind could never meet our end of the deal, or side of the covenant, because we could never fulfill God's law and instructions. So were the Israelites set up to fail with the law? Let's turn to Romans 5, verse 20, to see what Paul writes about. God's laws were given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, bringing us, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So one interpretation I've into reading this and understanding this is thinking of the law as a mirror rather than shackles. So in a mirror, you see what you look like. And so in that sense, the law was meant to for people to look into and see how sinful they really were. And it is through seeing how sinful you, how sinful our nature actually is that we see our need for a saviour. To renew this, his covenant and redeem the Israelites and all mankind, God also had to pay a price, just like Hosea. Only the price that God paid was that of his son. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 reads, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you 
from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And in Exodus chapter 24 verse 8, we read how Moses sprinkled the blood of sacrificed animals over the people who confirmed the covenant between the Israelites and God. God paid the ultimate price to renew his covenant with his people. It was the blood of Jesus, his son, which renewed his covenant with them. Turning to Luke chapter 22, verse 20. After the supper, he, this is Jesus, took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. God's covenant was renewed with Israel and with all mankind when God sent his son to die for our sins. To be crucified as a perfect sacrifice on this cross and to take judgment of the world on his shoulders. To fulfill the law which no man could fulfill. God's original covenant set out laws which if his people obeyed, he would keep his covenant with them. But they could not keep their side of the covenant. So God sent his son to meet both sides of the covenant, a one-sided deal. Romans 5, verse 7 to 11. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some one might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ who has made us friends with God. God sent Hosea, remember the name means salvation, to save Goma from harm. God also sent us a saviour, his son Jesus, to save us from destruction. So what do we bring to the table? We bring nothing but our sin and shame, and God took that all and put it on his son. Is this deal unfair? Of course it is. Which is why our salvation is a gift, not something we have earned. It is only explained by God's agape love and never-ending grace for those who repent and turn to him. But for clarification, just because God's grace is abundant doesn't mean that we should continue intentionally sinning as believers to allow God to continue showing his grace. Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 1 to 2, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue living in it? We are all God's creation. He created us. So we belong to him, just as Gomer belonged to Hosea as his wife. Yet just as Gomer had the freedom to be unfaithful and leave Hosea, we too have free will to be unfaithful and commit adultery in our relationship with God. God's purchase of humanity with his son Jesus on the cross was purchasing back what was already rightfully his. Gomer did not deserve to be redeemed. Her behaviour did not merit such mercy. Israel did not deserve God's faithful betrothal. Their unfaithfulness 
did not merit such mercy. You and I do not deserve our salvation. Our sin does not merit such mercy. So why did God redeem us? Why did Jesus pay the ultimate price for our redemption? Why does God continue to give his unconditional love to people who continually throw it away? It is only by his grace that we are redeemed. Unmerited mercy. Mercy we did not earn by our deeds or actions. It is not because we deserve it. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. This is reason to rejoice that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Psalm chapter 103 verse 10 to 18. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the heights of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as us from as from the east as from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the Lord but the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant and to those who obey his commandments. At a manger in Bethlehem, God entered the slave market, where all of us were putting ourselves up for auction, prostituting ourselves and our humanity to a lesser life. But on the cross, Jesus paid the whole price, paid the full price for our freedom. He brought us back. He values his relationship with us so much that he offers us an open-ended covenant so that if we repent of our sinful nature and put our faith in him, that he will take us back as his own. Just as the parable Jesus told the prodigal son, that if we've come to the Father, he will welcome us back with outstretched arms. Similarly, we see at the end of Hosea, after all the prophecies of judgment, God tells of his promise to Israel if they turn back to him. Hosea chapter 14, verse 4 to 9. The Lord says, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like a lily. It will send roots deep into the soil, like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom, like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like the tree that is always green. All your fruit will come from me. Comes from me, sorry. Like those who are wise, and oh, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and the righteous people walk, live by walking in them. But in those paths sinners stumble and fall. Going forward into this week, I'd encourage you to meditate on what God has done for you. Think about how often you stop and thank God for all he has done for us, for his unfailing love and grace, 
for paying the ultimate price of his son on the cross to renew his covenant with us. May we never take for granted what God paid so much for, or the grace of God through which we receive our salvation in a one-sided deal. And if there's anyone here who has not accepted this free gift of God, of salvation through Christ Jesus, then I would encourage you to speak to one of the elders, which is, so we've got Mike, Bill, Kevin, and Mike. And now I'm going to close in prayer, and then I'll hand back to Mike for another song. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to have opened your word here this morning. I pray that um, my wisdom um, will be forgotten, but but your words and your teaching um, that I pray that I've shared here this morning will be remembered um, and that people will be both encouraged and challenged um, to implement your will in their lives. Amen.